Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. If you're visiting, uh, welcome to River of Life, our Wednesday night Bible study. We are uh, making our way through the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> we are about uh, almost a year into this, and we last week we started, or two weeks ago, we started in the third and final section of the Sermon on the Mount, which of course is Matthew uh, chapter 7. Um, we're going to be in verses 1, we were in verses 1 through 6. The first week and last week, and we're going to be in there again tonight, and we'll come back one more time next week. So the title of our lesson tonight is Spiritual Surgery. So let's begin by reading the words of Jesus. He says this, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure or the standard that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't even notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to uh, attack you." Now, this is our third week in this, uh, in these, these verses, and I would strongly recommend that if you're, if, if, if you just come here tonight for the first time, you have to take these six verses together. You can't understand any of the verses apart from the others. So if you, if this is your first time, please, you can go back on the, on the, on the app or the uh, website or through the podcast and go back and make sure you listen to the first two. But last week, we focused on verse 2, and I think uh, for myself that it is probably one of the most alarming verses in the Bible, and that is this. Jesus said, with the judgment that you pronounce on somebody else, that is the judgment, that you, that's what will be used to judge you. The standard or the measurement that you use to judge other people, that same standard or measurement will be used against you. And here's what he's saying. If you and I make a choice, and it is a choice, by the way, if you and I make a choice to sit in authority in judgment over somebody else, we have absolutely no right to complain if someday God chooses to judge us by that same standard. That, that would be completely fair, right? And by the way, if you complain about that, this is what God would say to you. He'd say, you knew the standard. And you proved you knew it by using it to judge others. You can't say one day, well, I didn't know. I didn't know you were supposed to do this, or I didn't know you were not supposed to do that. He'll say, oh, you knew it because you used it to judge other people. And if you knew it and you proved you knew it, then why didn't you do it yourself? And, and some may accuse me of putting words in, in God's mouth, but I'm not because that's exactly what he said in Romans 2.1. Paul says this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. 
For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Now that, I don't know about y'all, but there is no other verse in Scripture that makes me want to run away from judging people quicker than that one. Right? I mean, I, I don't, can't think of another statement, another passage, another verse in Scripture that would deter you from judging other than, than that one. In fact, it, it almost makes me want to just divorce myself from the whole process. I don't want to see anything. I don't want to know anything. I, I don't want to know what you do. I don't, I don't care. I just, I don't even want to know about it, right? I don't, cause I don't want to be judged. So you just, it's, it's easy to just shrink away in the corner and say, I'm not going to have no part of any of it. Now, there's a couple problems with that. If you choose to do that, then you're really no different than an unbeliever. You're no different than those people out there that said, hey, whatever doctrine, whatever lifestyle, whatever sin, you know, everything goes. How are you any different from that? But the fact is, if Jesus had stopped right there and didn't give us any more verses, if he had just ended in verse 2, that's probably what most of us would do. We would just divorce ourselves from any kind of judging. But he didn't stop there. In fact, if you keep on reading and you come to verse 5, what you find out is Jesus is not prohibiting all judging. He's just prohibiting the wrong kind of judging. In fact, when we get to verse 5, what he'll tell us is this. He'll say, see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He doesn't say, hey, man, don't point out the speck. Don't, Don't try to take the speck. No, he just says you need to get yourself right first. So he's not prohibiting all judging. He's just prohibiting the wrong kind of judging. And what he's telling us in those verses is don't judge in a hypocritical way. Don't, don't judge like a hypocrite. He tells us that clearly in verses 3 and 4. Don't, don't judge in a petty, condemning way that just puts people down. It, it, it just hurts them and it doesn't help them in any way. It reminds me, in my study this week, I ran across a story of this guy and he kept bringing his girlfriends home. He'd have a girlfriend, he'd bring him home to meet his parents. And his mom would just criticize every girl he brought over. They weren't ever good enough. He'd, she'd criticize this and criticize this and criticize that. He'd bring another girl over. And she would criticize that one and criticize that one. It just went on and on and on. So finally, one day, he's talking to a friend of his. And uh, his friend says, well, here's what you need to do. You just need to find somebody like your mama. Because you find somebody that looks like her and acts like her and talks like her and thinks like her. And she, she won't criticize that. And he said, well, that's, that's a good idea. So he... Goes on a search, and he finally finds this girl. And she kind of looks like his mama, and certainly acts like his mama, and talks like his mama, and thinks like his mom, and, and, and likes all the same things his mom does. And so he takes her home to meet his mom. A few weeks later, he runs across his friend, and his friend said, Hey, did you take that girl to meet your mom? And he said, Yeah. He said, How did it work out? And he said, Man, my mom loved her, but for some reason, my dad cannot stand her. <laughs> I have no idea if that has any relevance to this. But we don't, we don't, we don't want to be critical, petty, disparaging people, right? I mean, that, who, who likes that kind of person? We, however, we are called to judge people in a righteous way. Uh, John 7, 4, Jesus said, Don't judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. 
we can help them. We can, we can make, we can discern. We can make assessments. We can, we can see things wrong in their life. And if we do it in the right way, a merciful way, a forgiving way, we can do it in a way that helps them. So as we said in week one, Jesus is teaching us here how to be spiritual eye surgeons. The, the beam and the speck here, they have something that they represent sin. How do, how do you help someone overcome sin in their life? How do you minister to them and how do you do it the right way? So this is what we're going to talk about tonight. How do you and I here at River of Life in this body, how do we become spiritual eye surgeons? Not physical, but spiritual eye surgeons. There are three things that this these six verses teach us, okay? Two of them we're going to cover tonight and the third one we'll cover uh, next week. Uh, prepare yourself. You got to get ready. The first and foremost, it's all about you. Secondly, you got to be gentle. And then third, you have to be uh, discerning. So let's, let's look at the first two tonight. The first one is if you want to minister to somebody, if you really want to help people, okay, then the first thing you have to do is you have to prepare yourself. You have to make sure that spiritually you are able to see things uh, clearly. Now, Jesus, of course, points this out very clearly in Matthew 7, 5. He says, first, the first thing you do, take the log, take the beam out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly. Okay, so that's the very first thing we have to do. Now, as I said earlier, this, this analogy of a log and a speck, uh, the word speck could also be translated splinter. You've got a, con- you've got a whole tree sticking out of your eye. And that person's got a little tiny splinter, right? And you can see that. Man, look at look look what they did. Look how they act. Look look how they talk. And you don't even see this log sticking out of your eye. So he's certainly describing sin here. And what he's describing is how these logs, these these big sins in our life, blind us, and how they make us ineffective in helping other people. So again, you got two people here. One's got a beam, one's got a got a speck or a splinter. They both got sin in their life. They both got problems, but one of them is 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 got such a big problem in their life that they cannot help that other person. They've actually got the bigger problem. And that makes them unqualified or it disqualifies them as a minister. So how do we get past that? How do you move from being with someone who's got a beam in your eye to someone who can see clearly? Well, here's the first thing we all have to do. And, every, and I mean this, I'm pointing at myself, I'm pointing at you, every single one of us. We have to recognize the hypocrisy that abides in each and every one of us. Every single one of us struggle with this. We, it's just, and, I, and I'll show you why in just a second. But you have to admit that. You have to see that in your own life. You have to face that in your own life. Jesus said in verses 3 and 4, why? Why do you do that? Why, why is it that you can see the speck in somebody else's eye and you don't even notice the beam? How, how can you do that? How can you say to somebody, what is it in, in our lives? What it, is it in our brains? What is it in our hearts and souls that, that makes us so prone to this type of hypocrisy. Well, the first thing we need to understand is that we're just born with it. It's part of our sin nature. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It goes all the way back to Adam and Genesis. And Genesis chapter 3, 11 through 12, after Adam uh, has, has taken the fruit given to him by his wife and, 
And uh, God comes down to walk in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and Eve hide from him because they're ashamed. They, 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 they know now that they're naked. They don't have no clothes on. And God says, hey, where are you? And Adam says, man, I was scared because I was naked. And then God says this, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And watch what Adam said. The woman that you gave me, God, she gave it to me. Instead of just stepping up and saying, look, I messed up, man. God, you did this. You put me in this situation. You made me like this. You gave me this temper. You, you made me think this way. You, you did that. You put me in. You put her there. Are you with me? Deflect, 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 deflect. It's always somebody else's fault. It's, it's in every single one of us. It's just part of our sin nature. We're prone to selfishness. We're prone to, to minimize what we do and magnify what other people do, right? It's just, it's in each and every one of us. In fact, have you ever noticed when somebody else does something, you, you automatically almost assume the worst, right? Somebody says something, you just assume, you don't assume it was a mistake. You don't assume, you just assume, well, now, what do they mean by that? They, 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 they're trying to hurt me. They're trying to get over Are you with me? We always assume the worst, but we always let ourselves off the hook. We, we have a hard time forgiving others, but we'll forgive ourselves like that. Have a hard time showing mercy to others, but we show mercy to ourselves like that. I've noticed this, that we have a tendency to rename our sins. Have you ever noticed that? For example, you lose your temper, but I'm, I just got righteous anger. Right? You're a jerk, but me, I, I'm just having a bad day. You got a critical spirit. I, I'm just, I'm just telling the truth, man. We just, we, it, it's, you gossip, I share prayer requests. You, you cuss, you cuss, but I, I'm, I'm just letting off steam, man. You're pushy, I'm goal-oriented. You're greedy, I, it's just business. And of course, my favorite, you're a hypochondriac, but I'm really sick. You see, we, we judge others. And then we persuade ourselves somehow that what we're re the reason we're doing it is we're really concerned with truth, that we're really concerned with, with righteousness, that that is our, that's our only interest. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I, I, I'm just, I just want to make, I just want people to be holy. I want them to walk in truth and righteousness. We actually convince ourselves that that is our only interest. But here's the thing. If that really was our only interest, then we judge ourselves. If that's really what you want, holiness and truth and righteousness, if that's really what you want, then you judge yourself. And by the way, if you don't judge yourself, then what you're showing is that's really not what you want at all. By the way, that's the very definition of a hypocrite. The word hypocrite in the Greek uh, literally means two-faced. In the Greek, actors would put on masks. And so the word hypocrite means two-faced. That's, that's the very definition of a hypocrite, somebody that acts like they're one thing, but they're really something completely different. The, the best example you will ever find in the Bible of someone who can't see their own sin while looking at the sins of others is the story of David and, and Bathsheba. Now, if you want to read that story, you go back, I believe it's 2 Samuel chapter 11, and 
I'm sure you guys all know the story. David, King David, there came a time when he should have been at war. All of his generals, all of his men were off at war, and for some reason David decided he's not going to go. So he's sitting at this, his, uh, his, his home, his castle, wherever he was, and he walks up on the rooftop to get cooled off because that's what they did in those days. And, and he looks over and he sees a woman, and she's bathing. And so she's good-looking, and so he sends some people over, brings her over, and he ends up sleeping with her. And uh, she goes back to her home, and a uh, few days, few weeks later, whatever the time frame is, she sends word to him that I'm, I'm pregnant. Now, David knows now, man, I got, a, I got a real problem because he knows she's married to a man named Uriah. So David, Uriah, of course, is off at war with his brothers. And so he sends message, bring Uriah home. So he says, I know what I'll do. I'll bring Uriah home. He'll go uh, sleep with his wife. She'll have a baby and everybody think it's his. So he brings Uriah home and he says, hey, man, how's it going? And he's like, yeah, the, you know, he talk, talks about the battle. He said, go home to your wife. And Uriah says, oh, no. I can't do that. My brothers are, are sleeping in the fields in tents. How can I go home to my wife? I mean, he was a man of the highest integrity. And David's like, oh, man, what am I going to do now? So David gets a second idea. I know what I do. I'll get him drunk. So David keeps him over the next night and feeds him food and wine and gets him drunk. And he said, I know when he's drunk, he'll go home, but he didn't. He just stayed there at David's place that night. So David, first thing he tried, fails. Second thing he tries, fails. Third thing he says, I know what I'll do. Send him back out to the war. And he sent a message to uh, Joab, who was his general. He said, I want you to put him on the front line. And I said, when the fighting gets the hardest, I want you to pull back and let him be killed. And that's exactly what happened. Uriah dies. Once uh, David gets the message, he sends, he brings Bathsheba over, takes her as his wife. Now, God doesn't put up with stuff like that. So God sends a man to him by the name of Nathan. And you can read this in 2 Samuel 12. And Nathan comes over, and Nathan's a prophet of God, and he comes over to David, and he says, David, I want to tell you a story. And he said, I want to tell you a story about a rich man. And this rich man had many, many flocks of sheep. He had all the sheep that he could ever want, right? And one day this traveler comes by, and he's going to stay at that man's house. And, and typically when that happens, you go kill an animal like a sheep, and you make a feast. And, uh, but the rich man didn't want to kill his own, one of his own sheep. So he had a neighbor who was a poor man. And the Bible literally says that man had a little ewe lamb that he loved like a daughter. You ever seen sheep that'll get up in people's lap and, 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 I mean, that's how this thing was. It was like a, it was like a daughter to him. He loved that little ewe lamb. And that rich man went over and took that little ewe lamb away from that poor man and had that lamb killed and served to his traveler. And he told that story to David. And the Bible says David's anger was greatly kindled against that man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now, can you imagine? David is full of anger against a man who who took another man's lamb while David took another man's wife. Not only did he take another man's wife, he took another man's life. He could see the speck. He could see the sin that that man committed, but he was completely blind to the beam sticking out of his own eye. 
until Nathan pointed in his face and said, you're the man. That's you, David. That's what you did. And David said, man, I've sinned. I've sinned against the Lord. You see, the fact is, if we'll get honest with ourselves, David is a man after God's own heart. If that could happen to David, it certainly can happen to us, and it does happen to us. Too many of us in the church have got beams in our eye, big beams like pride. Now, I don't know if you can get a bigger beam than pride. God hates pride, hates it. The Bible tells us that several times. Things like anger and jealousy and lust and greed. These are, these are huge logs in our, in our eyes. And we're never going to see clearly because like David, you're going to be blinded by your own sin. If you're walking around proud and, and, and prideful, you're never going to be able to help anybody. You, you can't see clearly is what uh, Jesus is saying. So if you do, by the way, try to help somebody with this big old thing sticking out of your eye, trust me, you're just going to mess it up. You're trying to minister to them. You're, 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 you're persuading yourself that you're trying to help them. But in the end, you're just hurting them. So the question for you and I is, if we've got these things in our life, how do we get rid of them? How do we remove these beams from our eye? Well, the first thing that you and I got to do is we got to get honest. We've absolutely got to get honest. Listen, I want to commend you guys for being here tonight. Okay, this is a wonderful thing to come and sit under the teaching of the Word of God. But let me ask you a question. How often do you sit under a teaching? Don't raise your hand. But how often do you sit under a teaching and you're thinking, boy, Susie really needs to hear this. Boy, I got to get this podcast link to Johnny. Johnny really needs to hear. How many of us do that? Instead of letting this come to us and evaluate us and test us and search us, immediately we're thinking about other people. By the way, I I struggle with this mightily. As a teacher, I struggle with this mightily because I'm, I'm programmed to hear something and immediately I'm thinking, well, how do I, how do I teach that? How do I put that in a lesson? I mean, it's just, it's just the way I think. And I'm missing things. We can't do that. We have to stop. We have to get honest with ourselves. It's not about somebody else. It's about me. What does this mean to me? What what is this scripture speaking to me? God, what are you trying to tell me? See, that's what we need to do. Each one of us needs to stop and focus on our hearts. Focus on our sin. Focus on how we fall short of being more like Jesus. We need to ask God to show us those things. This is exactly, by the way, what David did. In Psalm 139, 23 to 24, he said this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way, anything in me that grieves you. Lead me in the way everlasting. Ask God to show you those things. Is there anything inside of me? Is there a beam in my eye that's keeping me from being able to minister to my brother and my sister? Now, by the way, David said that. (laughs) David. That's the same David who couldn't see the beam in his own eye, which leads us to this point right here. We all need a Nathan. Listen to me. We all need a Nathan. See, the fact is we are prone to hypocrisy. We are prone to spiritual blindness. And because of that, we need somebody in our lives. 
We need a Nathan, someone that we know loves us. Somebody that we know wants the best for us. And, and, and again, that doesn't mean they're perfect. They might not always get it right. But let me tell you, if you got somebody in your life that will hold you accountable, if you got somebody in your life that will speak truth to you, when everybody else is just, is just patting your back and telling you how great you are, if you got somebody who will speak truth into your life, let me tell you, that is invaluable. That is absolutely invaluable. So here's my question to you tonight. Who is your Nathan? Who have you given permission to, to speak prophetically into your life? That's a good question. If you don't have somebody, I I would encourage you to find somebody. Find somebody that you can trust, somebody that that loves you and knows you and and is not afraid to speak truth into your uh, life. So the first thing we do is we get honest with our sin. We find ourselves somebody to hold us accountable who will speak truth into our life. And the next thing we got to do is we got to repent. Remember the, the, the word repent means you turn and go the other way. It means you turn. It's not, it don't just mean I'm sorry. We're all sorry a lot of times for a lot of things. This means I'm sorry, but I'm going the other way. I'm doing the opposite of what I was doing. Let me tell you, when a doctor... Uh, I, I know many of y'all here have had probably surgery. And let's, let's be honest, when a doctor's coming in to do surgery, what's the old joke? Um, it's only minor surgery when it's on somebody else, right? You know, anything on me, I don't care what it is, it's major. And uh, I don't care what that doctor's doing, I, I, I want him to be on top of his game, right? I don't want him to have been out drinking last night. I didn't want him up all night playing cards. I don't want him arguing with his wife. I don't want him having a bad day. I don't want him anything dulling his senses. I don't want anything that's going to hinder his expertise or his ability to operate on me. Listen, it's got to be the same for us. We have to confess. We have to repent of our sin. We have to repent of the compromises that we've made in our life if we want to effectively minister to other people. We're not perfect. We're not, I'm not asking anybody to be perfect, but you've got to be honest. You've got to recognize the compromises and stuff you've made in your life, and you've got to turn from those things. If we don't, we'll never see clearly. If we're holding on to sins in our life, if we're not repenting of those, you're never spiritually going to see anything clearly, and you'll never be able to minister to others and things that are pleasing to God. Now, you're honest. You're honest. You get a Nathan in your life. You repent of those sins and compromises. Now, here's a really good question. How do you know you're ready? How do you know that you're ready to actually step into another person's life and help them with their sin? I'm going to give you two things. Number one, you'll know you're ready when your own sin bothers you a lot worse than theirs. That's a really, I'm going to give you two things, and they're both really, really good, okay? You'll know you're ready when your own sin bothers you a lot worse than theirs. You see, when you judge yourself, there, and you really see God shows you things in your life, there's a humility that comes into your life. There's a godly sorrow, and it's that kind of person that you won't uh, speak it into another person. Because if you're that kind of person and you've judged yourself and God's shown you things in your life and he's humbled you, when you walk into that other person's life with their sin, man, you're going to be tender 
and you're going to be merciful, and you're going to be gentle, and you're going to be careful. You're not just going to run in there like you know it all. So that's the first thing. You'll know you're ready when your sin bothers you worse than theirs. Here's the second thing. You'll know you're ready when you don't want to do it. You'll know you're ready when you don't want to do it. You see, there's this thing. You you see that person, and you see the sin in their life, and you know somebody needs to step step in there and help them, but all you can think is, well, who am I? Who who am I? Do you you know who I am? Why would you want me? When you start thinking like that, you're ready. You're ready to step in there. See, now you're ready to judge rightly. Now you're ready to walk over and help that brother, help that sister get the speck out of their eye. So that's the first thing. We got to prepare ourselves. The second thing that we have to do if we want to minister to one another is we have to be gentle. Now, it doesn't say in this verse that you have to be gentle, but we infer that because he's talking about the eye, right? He could have said, hey, you got a, you got a, uh, you got a log sticking out of your foot. He could have said, you got a, you know, you got in your leg, but he didn't. He said, your eye. Take the speck out of your brother's eye. You know, I don't know if anybody here had to, if you've ever had to go to the doctor and have anything taken out of your eye or just, just have somebody help you. I mean, I can't put, I've never even, I wear glasses. I've never thought about putting contacts in. I couldn't even imagine how people do it. Right? I mean, my own finger, I get eye drops and my head's going back, you know, like, <laughs> it's my own hand. And I'm like, get away from me, man. Um, your eye is just so tender. It's so sensitive. It has no protection. There's nothing there to protect it. And if you mess it up, you don't get a second chance. Right? It's, it's done. It is a, so when somebody comes and starts messing with your eye, that is a very, very delicate operation. And, 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 it, and so just think about that from a physical standpoint. Just think about how sensitive the eye is. Think about how careful you have to be with the eye. Of all the parts of the body, that's probably the most sensitive, the one that's most uh, open to damage. You know, every, how many, I, I put something together the other day, right? Uh, for my grandson's uh, birthday, and I opened the directions. What's the first thing it said? Wear eye protection, right? <laughs> they cover in their cell. You know, wear eye protection. Because it's such a thing, the eye has to be protected. Now, take all of that, knowing the fact that it requires extreme gentleness and extreme care, take all of that over to the spiritual realm. You're about to handle somebody's soul. Think about that. You're going to step into somebody's life and try to help their soul. You're going to try to touch their soul. You're going to try to build up their soul. There's nothing more sensitive in the spirit of a man than their soul. And if you're rough, if you're critical and disparaging and petty and criticizing and harsh and judgmental, trust me, you're going to hurt that person. And if you're not real careful, you can hurt them permanently. It takes the utmost of care, the utmost of wisdom, the utmost of maturity, the utmost of everything if you're going to go in and deal with a person's soul. Do you see why Jesus is saying it's absolutely imperative that from a spiritual standpoint you see clearly? It's absolutely imperative that you see clearly. You, you cannot be a, quote, spiritual surgeon without it. 
Let me tell you, if you've ever done it, it is one of the most difficult things you'll ever do in the Christian life. If you've ever stepped under somebody else's burden, if you've ever stepped into a situation where you're trying to minister to somebody, especially when they're dealing with sin in their life, it is one of the most difficult things you'll ever do. And that's why it belongs only to the spiritually mature. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 6.1. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression or sin, you who are spiritual, you who are living in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, producing the fruit of the Spirit, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of what? Gentleness. And keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You see, Paul, Paul recognizes that in every human being, he recognizes this, this old nature that we've got, that there's a tendency to be judgmental. There's a tendency to be hypocritical. There's a tendency to be harsh with somebody else. So he goes out of his way. He didn't have to say that, by the way. He goes out of his way to say, when you do it, be gentle. And it seems, according to Paul, that he says, you who are spiritual do that. Because in his mind, people who are immature are not going to do it right. People who are immature are going to be prone to be more judgmental, to be more harsh, to be more critical. So Paul says, only you who are spiritual do this thing. Now, real, real quickly here, why would you think that immature people are more prone to be harsh as opposed to gentle? I think there's different reasons, but part of it is, you know, I don't know how many of y'all remember back when you first got saved. And maybe you were struggling with some sins, and all of a sudden you're, you're saved. I mean, you're really saved. And some of those sins just fall off of you. They just, they just fall off of you. They don't, you don't struggle with them anymore. And there's a sense of, of, of confidence and a sense of just, I, I mean, you're just like, wow, this, I, I don't have to deal with those things anymore. You feel strong. You feel like you can do anything. And you forget how easy it is to stumble. You forget how easy it is to stumble. And see, what that, that thing that you think makes you strong actually ends up making you weak. It actually ends up blinding you, and it makes you ineffective as a, a minister. See, the spiritual, here's the great thing about spiritual people. If you've ever met a really spiritual person, somebody that's walking in the Spirit, living by the Spirit, producing the fruit of the Spirit, not only are they wise, not only are they full of the Word, not only are they full of the Spirit, they're also humble. Truly spiritual people are humble because they know that the only reason I am who I am is through the grace of God. I'm not standing here because of anything to do with me. If he turned his back on me, I'd fall just like that. I'd be gone. It's God who does all of that. See, spiritual people, in fact, what makes, it's, it's this, it's kind of this, uh, trying to find the right word. It, it, it's kind of this thing, one of the reasons that they stay so close to God is because they know how dangerous it is to walk, to, to get away from Him. So they're just sitting there clinging to Him. Man, they're in every service, they're reading their word, they're praying, they're, they're doing everything because they know it's only being close to God that makes them strong. They know that. There's no doubt. And that's what makes them spiritual people. Not because they're somehow special. 
It's the fact that they're humble and they know who they really are. Listen to the Apostle Paul. By the way, the Apostle Paul. I want to meet him one day, don't you? Man, I hope I get to stand there and talk to him and just ask him questions and how'd you feel about this and how'd you feel about that and all that. Probably one of the greatest men to ever walk this earth. Loved Jesus, met with Jesus, talked with Jesus, beat, shipwrecked, went through everything, finally uh, martyred for his faith. And listen to what he said in his first letter to Timothy. He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. I'm the worst. In, in Ephesians 3.8, he says this, to me who am less than the least of all the saints. I am the least. I'm less than the least of all the saints. And see, you see the dichotomy here. Here's Paul, this man who speaks with this incredible authority. And then here's Paul who says, I'm the least of all the saints. I'm the worst sinner there is. Go read Romans 7. Paul Paul doesn't say, who will will, rescue me from this terrible body? Or I forget the words that he said. But it's just the fact that what a wretched man I am, he said in Romans 7. So how does Paul step over here and speak with this authority into the church and into other people's lives when over here he's saying, what a wretched man I am, I'm the least of all the sinners, because he knows he can step over here in the power of God. It's not in his own power. It's not what he knows and who he is. Apart from God, that is who he is. But over here, he can stand and speak with authority into people's lives. It's about God and who he is. You see, Paul recognized how weak and vulnerable he was. And that is what made him strong. It's often said that until a person recognizes themselves as the chief of sinners, only then are you be ready to minister to others. Until you recognize the sin in your own life and how prone you are to that, you'll never be somebody that can step in and minister to somebody else. I want to close with this. Would you agree with me that for most people, Christians across America, if I ask them, what is church life? You know, you see those stickers on the windows, right? River life and camping life and all those other lives, right? If I ask you, what is church life? What does it mean to you? Most people across America would say, well, it means going to church on Sunday morning. That's the majority of people. That's all they do. And there's probably a, a little, another percentage adds a Bible study on Wednesday night like this, or maybe a, a class on Sunday morning, or, or maybe a life group during the week. Now, by the way, those are wonderful things. I, I love coming to church. I love being here on Wednesday night. I, I, love the, I love all of that. But folks, listen to me. You cannot, cannot read the New Testament and come away from it and think that church life is just those things. You, you can't find that. In fact, is when we treat church life, that, that church life is Sunday morning and Wednesday night and maybe a life group and that's all it is. Let me tell you what will happen. It makes the people of God passive. And it makes you begin to rely on the, quote, experts. Well, the pastor will do that. Or the evangelist will do that. Or you begin to rely on books or you rely on, but you're not relying on each other. 
See, God doesn't want a church with passive people. He don't. He doesn't want a church with. That's not what church life is. Just some coming in and sitting on a chair. Church life is getting involved. Church's life is exhorting one another and admonishing one another and encouraging one another, loving one another, bearing one another's burdens. That's what church life is. Listen to Ephesians four eleven through sixteen, and I close with this. And he, talking about God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. That's what's known or we call the fivefold ministry. The Bible doesn't call it that. We just put that name on it. These are what God gave the church. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. Now, why did he do it? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's you. To equip the saints for what? The work of ministry. What is the work of ministry? Building up the body of Christ. Building up the body of Christ. That's not the job of the pastor. It's not the job of the teacher or the evangelist or the apostle or the prophet. It's your job. It's my job. Go on and read the rest of this. Until, he says, we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves. How many of you feel like in your life you've just been flung from one wave to the next? Just one wave to the next. You got into a church here and somebody brought in a bad doctrine and they just, you lost years to that. Right? It's just, that's just real life, folks. Paul says, no, get in a body. Get in a body with pastors and evangelists and prophets and, and teachers and, and get in there and begin to teach one another. Begin to show one another how to minister to one another. Become spiritual eye surgeons so that that stuff don't happen to you anymore. Somebody walks in that door with a bad doctrine, everybody in the building turns around and recognizes it. Oh, there it is. That ain't right. That's twisted. He's trying to deceive us. Notice how you do it. Rather, he said, say these five words with me. Speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, that's every single one of us, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly. It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Listen, thank God for spiritual people. I would not be standing where I am today if there was not spiritual people who spoke into my life, who helped me when I needed help. And my guess is for most of you, you would not be sitting where you are if somebody, somebody didn't just pass you by. I, I saw I, I, those fires in Hawaii this week. I don't, I should have, I was going to grab a picture of it. They had a, these guys, these two guys, two men, grown men. These aren't teenagers, they're grown men. They're in a car. The smoke and the fires are out there and it's burning. They're trying to get out of this city. And they're, of course, let's videotape it, right? Because that's what everybody does. We're going to die. Let's at least videotape it and get some hits off of it. So anyway, they're driving in the car and they get to this intersection. There's a woman, probably about from here to that chair laying in the street. And one of them said, well, what do we do? The other one said, man, ain't nothing we can do for her. We got to get out of here. And they just drove on. And, and you look at that and say, how could they do that? How can we do it? 
How can we do it? When there's so many people that are hurting in the body and they need our help and we just walk by. If I get involved in that, man, I ain't going to tell you where that's going to go. I'm just going to go on by. Listen, I believe with all my heart people are going to swarm into this body, into this church. I believe that. I believe people are looking for truth and it's getting harder and harder to find. And if you preach truth and yet you're real, people are going to come. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, really lifted up, really lifted up, not, not your buddy Jesus, not your prosperity gospel Jesus, the real Jesus who forgives and delivers from sin. When you hold up that Jesus, they're going to come. But we got to be ready and we got to be willing. Thank God for spiritual people. Thank God for people who are producing fruit, who, who, who the Holy Spirit in them is producing things like love and patience and kindness and gentleness. Let me tell you, somebody like that can walk up to you and tell you the truth. And when they do, you will only, not only know it's the truth, you'll thank them for it. You'll thank them for it because you, there's just something about them that just convicts you. Have you ever, have you ever met anybody and then you got to say anything and you get convicted? <laughs> it's like, why can't I be like that guy? He convicts me just, just walking in the room. Don't even have to say anything. There's something about spiritual people. There's something about people who are full of love and kindness and gentleness and patience. They can walk into your life and speak truth and you will absolutely thank them for doing it. But let me tell you, somebody else can walk in and tell you the exact same truth. And your hackles will get up, and you'll defend yourself, and you will despise them for doing it. You'll despise them for it. Who are they? What's the difference? One speaks the truth in love. One speaks the truth out of judgmental, condemning, petty, disparaging spirit. One of them helps, the other hurts. One of them tears down, the other one builds up in love. Next week, we got one more verse, probably the greatest title I've ever had for any of my lessons, Pigs and Pearls. Um, This last verse is unbelievable. (laughs) I started looking at it this week and I thought, Do I just shove it in at the end for 10 minutes, or does it get its own lesson? And I I found out very quickly, oh, yeah, yeah, it's going to get its own uh, lesson. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. You are so awesome. Thank you for River of Life. Thank you for this body. Thank you for the spiritual men and women that you have placed in this body. And I do thank you because none of them would be here apart from you. None of them would be who they are apart from you. And God, I know I aspire to be one of those people. And I know there are people here that aspire to be that. God, help us, teach us, search us. We know it's not easy. We we, we get that, God, but we want to be not just somebody that's passive, that sits in a chair and calls it a day. We want to be in the battle. We want to be on the front lines. We want to be making a difference in your kingdom. But we can only do that through you. So I pray here tonight, God, that that you will put a hunger 
in some people's lives, people who maybe have just been kind of going through the motions and not really getting involved and not really putting in the time and the effort, that you will just put a hunger in them that cannot be quenched. God, if you do that, God, if you put the hunger in there, then you will meet that. And God, I can't do it. These pitiful words can't do it, but you can. I ask you to do it. I ask you to bless the, the teaching, the, the hearing of your word tonight. And we'll give you the glory and the honor and praise for what's going to come out of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. You are dismissed. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info rolcrawfordville.com We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.